coming up next on Thriving in Recovery. I think isolation and boredom are two of my biggest problems, and so avoiding them is my greatest weapon for keeping myself mentally healthy. And what's great, I was speaking to this the other night at our house meeting, talking about recovery. For me, I know that recovery becomes a lot of people's lives. That's their main focus, which I respect and more power to them. For me, what I've noticed that I think is the most valuable part of recovery is that now I have the space to care about things that don't matter. Like I got a cassette for my bike arriving at the house today and I'm gonna go, like I'm thinking about going and wrenching on my bike. And that's this tiny thing that I just didn't have for the longest time of, like I'm excited for this thing that doesn't matter. And what I'm concerned about, what keeps me up at night, is this thing that doesn't matter, where I have the space to be enjoying things and caring about things and be distressed by things that don't have serious life-affecting consequences. Welcome to another episode of Thriving in Recovery. I am your host, Bryce Givens. Today we are joined with Robbie Mitchell, and our guest today is Will M. Will is a member of the Elevate Recovery Homes community and Will shares his insight and his journey that he has experienced while being a member at Elevate. He also offers up some practical tips and tools that have helped him along his path. And it was just such a pleasure getting to know Will on a more personal basis. And I really enjoyed speaking with him and learning from him. He has a ton of insight and I hope you enjoy listening. What's up, Will? Not much. How's it going? Fantastic, man. Thanks for joining us today. Certainly. Uh, love to hear a little bit about uh, your path you know, to recovery, how you got here, um, kind of the obstacles that you had to overcome. Um, what stood in your way? Uh, well, really only myself, um, which I'm sure I'm unique in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess for just very quick background of how I got to be here, I was I was holding down a job, but we were getting high scooping ice cream, and then I got a really good opportunity at my current company, and I I managed to keep the wheels on for a couple of years, but they were things were slowly degrading and then very quickly degrading. Um, How so? I am lucky and a little bit proud that I managed to isolate my professional life from my own personal struggles for as long as I did. But I started, I mean, I was constantly drunk or high and uh, like dropping responsibilities, not taking care of myself or the people I cared about, not, I mean, I was really just spinning my wheels for a very long time. And then I started, I was on the fast path to having serious physical problems from like drinking. Luckily, I've managed to escape most of that, but it was it was an inevitability at a certain point and so i started missing days of work and think the one that really stood out to me was i was sleeping in my car and i got drunk and i ended up going outside to puke and locked the keys in the car and i walked home i was in uh the town that like my spare keys were at my parents house and so I ended up walking about six or seven miles at like 2 a.m. with no shoes on in t-shirt and shorts in the winter to go 
sneak into my parents' house through their basement window, grab my spare keys, and then spent the next day wandering around town on foot because I couldn't remember where the car was. And that one was just a really good indication to me. Like, eh, maybe maybe something's not optimal with how I'm surviving right now. Was that like your breakthrough moment? Was that like when you were like, hey, this is, uh, this is not working out for me. This is, I gotta change something up. Yes, it, it well, one of many. That one's, I think, just the most memorable. Yeah. Um, but it, it stood out to me even at the time. Like, yeah, the fact that this, it didn't seem routine, but this should probably feel like a bigger deal than it feels to me mm. at this moment. And then it took me a while after that to really solidify like working towards recovery. But that one was a, a huge moment that stood out to me. So what was the process like um, when you finally decided like, hey, I need to make some changes in my life? Like, did you go to rehab? Did you uh, start going to 12 step groups? Like what was what was that process like once you had finally made a decision? Well, that was kind of interesting for me, at least, because the making the real decision happened after I started taking steps. I this is especially clear to me in hindsight, but my first so. My parents, of course, some of my friends, some of my coworkers whom I confided in, like there were people telling me and I believed them that I needed some support. And I just really half-assed it. I was like, I went to some AA meetings, never really pursued that. I did IOP and I was sober for like 10 weeks the first time I did that. And nothing really stuck. And with the power of hindsight, it's easy to see that my mindset was just not ready. And I know even after I started going to sober living, after I had been in treatment before, I still was just white knuckling with extra steps. And I would say the big shift in mindset that I noticed was around November of this past year, where it no longer felt like I was just clinging to the routines and like steps of each process. I was actually enjoying my life in a way that didn't seem realistic to me before. And I think now, like I would have told you before that, that yeah, I don't miss being hungover and stuff, but I don't even really miss the enjoyable parts of it anymore. Mm. So I don't know if it was any one specific thing, if it was like I had some big moment where something, I, I had an epiphany. I think it was really building up routines, having a good community and getting myself in the right position that was conducive to making that shift in mindset allowed me to gradually make it. How'd you find that? Was that from the community and the sober living that you were in or like, how did you create that? I think that's by far the largest part mm -hmm. was I had people I cared about and people who cared about me. And I've been, so I'm a social isolator. I don't invest in other people and I try my best not to let them invest in me. Why? Uh, I don't know if I have a <laughs> That's just great your, per idea. your personality type. Yeah, so I do have- Which is surprising avoidant. to me just because we've gotten to know each other, you know, over the last six to eight months and you don't yeah. seem like that type of person with all of the- uh, participation that that I see you doing within you know elevate and and just within the community in general like you totally don't seem like that so that's why I asked why well I appreciate you saying that because I've been going to a lot of effort to change that mindset that's I really mean that as in that's how I used to be very strongly mm. and I think I've made some good steps in modifying that dude totally which, 
yeah, yeah so absolutely. yeah i appreciate that um but like i said that community aspect and the mutual investment and engagement and caring about people and having something to lose in terms of like emotional availability and mm. i hate the concept of vulnerability but why i think so that's what I'm working on with my therapist, actually. I think I don't have any really justifiable reasons. It's, uh, I don't know. I My working theory right now is that I like the idea of independence and autonomy. Mm -hmm. And I just take that to an extreme where the idea of people... I want my consequences or the consequences of my actions to be attributable only to those actions and externalities like interdependence just rub me the wrong way in a way that to me seems very clearly abnormal. So I, I think it's just me having certain odd personality traits that I've leaned into for so long that it's become a routine mm -hmm. and a very strongly uh, impressioned one. So yeah, habits. Does, yeah. it, does it make you feel like you're giving something away? There's that. Part of it is it feels like exposure to danger. Part of it feel, feels like uh, imposing on others. If I, I don't want to expect people to care, go to effort on my behalf. So there's a lot of different things. And I'm not trying to justify that mindset, but it is one that I've had for a while. Sure. So I think pushing back against that and sort of easing my like hardline stance on that is slow but it has made very noticeable improvements in my mental health and it it allows me to feel more invested both in other people and in myself let me ask you this just kind of on that note <clears throat> does so you participate in a lot of the active communities that we're trying to cultivate um particularly like climbing so climbing come comes to mind first do you think there's some correlation between, you mentioned fear and exposing yourself to fear. Is there some sort of relationship with putting yourself in fearful situations that is allowing you to work through that internally and so that you can do that with other people? Can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And I'm not certain I have the perfect answer to that. I think there's definitely an element to... Because like you said, I've, I'm a fanatic on the fitness stuff right now. Totally. And I think a huge part of that is just addictive personality, <laughs> which I'm sure is a shock. But I do think there's something about the, the fact that it is a very limited sort of situation where there's a severely restricted number of factors that you have to be considering in terms of danger and risk exposure and tolerance and stuff like that. When you're climbing or mountain biking or doing stuff like that, yeah, it is dangerous, but those dangers are basically innumerable where the reason I'm so, I mean, I'm clearly not risk averse when it comes to drug use, substance use, but the reason why that risk exposure feels so threatening to me is because it's much harder to understand what all those risks are, mm -hmm. I think is a huge part of it. So. The fact that something is possible to complete or not completely, you can never understand something completely, right. but you can feel much more confident in what your risk exposure is and what the risk reward ratios are going to be. Wouldn't you say that it's true that by, and, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but just thinking kind of through this, like hypothesizing, like 
say we take mountain biking, for example, there's, like you said, an innumerable set of factors of things that you can control and also not control variables that are uncontrollable. Do you think there's some sort of relationship between um, that specific uh, modality externally and the internal struggle that vulnerability brings in relationships? Yeah, I'm sure there is. Does that make sense? Like, I think so. Okay. So I think there can be like two, like the correlation is that like there's unknowns and there's knowns and especially in relationships and vulnerability and, you know, inviting people into your space. I think the, what I'm trying to get at is like, I think there might be some indirect connection between, um, you know, doing these like physically challenging and thrilling things that also may be subconsciously helping you to become more vulnerable as a person because your uh, affliction towards, you know, vulnerability, you said like you, you, you hate vulnerability. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe there's something there subconsciously that maybe you want to uncover with your therapist. Yeah, I think so. One that's kind of interesting to me that I thought about recently was less so with mountain biking, but specifically with climbing, you have to trust another person with your life. Mm, yeah. Uh, not always, but that's the most I mean, common. the kind of climbing you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really been interesting to me because I haven't had close friends, I think, since high school up until very recently. Mm. People whose interests I share, who I want to spend time with and want to get to know. And so that vulnerability aspect, like physically vulnerable. If I drop somebody 300 feet up a rock face, they're just going to die. And it's the same the other way around. So having that trust has been really intriguing to me because that's not something that I've even approached in quite a long time. And the fact that it is so enjoyable. I like having people who I trust to belay and I like them having that trust in me and the collaboration there is a huge part of it. And there's smaller, not smaller really, but less direct elements of that with all of our groups. I mean, riding bikes, yeah, nobody can drop me. I'd have to do that myself. But having that collaborative spirit going on the group rides, even at workouts, like I trust you guys to be spotting me and taking care of everybody. And there's that community element of it. That I think is the big reason why I've eased my negativity around just being connected. I mean, physically and emotionally, relying on and being relied upon by others is much less scary to me now than it was, say, a year ago. Nice, man. And I think that's been a huge part of it. Totally. That's fantastic, man. Do you want to share for possibly some of our listeners that are in early recovery, you know, kind of some more detailed um, on like what those habits are that you've been building? Like, what does your routine look like? Like, what does a day in the life of Will look like? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if I have anything really to offer that hasn't been said a million times before, But it's also the case that I knew about all the strategies that I'm employing before I was successfully implementing them. So the biggest one for me, I think, that has made a change in my life is routine. And the fact that it's a healthy routine is worth a ton, but just that it is a routine is this huge 
huge force multiplier in terms of mental stability that I wasn't employing before. So, I mean, I work full time. And then currently, with the exception of this evening, because I changed my schedule a little bit, I have not had a day where I didn't have something planned for several months now. It's been a very long time where it's unusual if I have more than like three or four hours in a row that I haven't already filled up like a week in advance. And the huge one that I've been relying upon is our workouts. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I have something going on immediately outside of work that I can, okay, this is the next thing that I'm going to think about and I'll be excited for doing whatever or going and uh, like half participating at book club or something like that. And then going climbing is a huge one, having those bike rides. And it's possible to get by without such a strong routine. I. I've done it before, like before, like I said, I think I started really strongly leaning into substance use, but that for me, at least right now, is a much less sustainable strategy where I think isolation and boredom are two of my biggest problems. And so avoiding them is my greatest weapon for keeping myself mentally healthy. And what's great, I was speaking to this uh, the other night at our house meeting talking about recovery for me i know that recovery becomes a lot of people's lives that's their main focus which i respect and more power to them for me what i've noticed that i think is the most valuable part of recovery is that now i have the space to care about things that don't matter like i got a cassette for my bike arriving at the house today and i'm gonna go like i'm thinking about going and wrenching on my bike and that's this tiny thing that I just didn't have for the longest time of, like, I'm excited for this thing that doesn't matter. And what I'm concerned about, what keeps me up at night is this thing that doesn't matter, where I have the space to be enjoying things and caring about things and be distressed by things that don't have serious life-affecting consequences. It's presence, man. Yeah. Totally. That's so. awesome. Um, yeah, touching back on your routine, like... <laughs> Sorry, I totally missed that. No, you didn't miss it at all. Like, you t explained it perfectly. And, you know, it's like everybody... It's relative, right? Like, your routine's going to be different than somebody else's. But I think so oftentimes what we see is, you know, kind of... Ha you talked about half-assing earlier. Like, so many people kind of half-ass their routine in early recovery and ultimately that sets them up for failure. So mm -hmm. can you kind of talk on, um, you know, for you, what has been the thought process in maintaining consistency throughout keeping that solid routine? Because a lot of people, for a lot of people, that might be too much, right? Oh, yeah. And the thing is, is like, wherever you're at in your stage of recovery and in, in your on your journey, like consistency is the most important thing. So can you kind of talk through your thought process about consistency and what that means like in your routine specifically? Sure, because I've had plenty of experience half-assing and failing. Um, we all have. Yeah. yeah. And we're all <laughs> right constantly working on it, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's small things. And so I had a huge advantage in that I got hooked on climbing and now I'm all excited about mountain biking. And I have the resources through you guys with your workouts, with this great community, that there's a very low barrier of entry to me pursuing those interests. 
So that is a huge advantage. It's not necessary, I don't think, but in my experience when it comes to forming habits, which this really is what we're talking about is mm-hmm. breaking and forming habits and routines and the, like neural pathways. I'm not going to pretend to understand the biology or like neurology of yeah. all this, but at least in my experience, what it comes down to either forming or breaking a habit, which I think are fundamentally the same idea, Mm -hmm. is at first it's almost entirely willpower. Mm -hmm. And then if you can manage to cultivate that for a long enough time, it can become, I mean, routine is powerful in and of itself, but especially when you can add in enjoyment and Mm. feeling of accomplishment, those things can start to supplant, I think, the willpower start of it. Totally. But I mean, for a really clear-cut example, I've quit nicotine multiple times before um, for longer and shorter periods of time. And the pattern with me is always, it starts out, it just has to be a strict do this thing or don't do this thing where it doesn't seem like I've found any shortcut to getting over that initial bump of you just have to force yourself to do something. Right, brew force it. Yeah. Yeah. And then with nicotine, I mean, with a lot of stimulants, there's a very sharp drop off of, okay, after a couple of days, now it's much less pressing and you have to be forcing yourself a lot less in order to maintain that. And then once a couple weeks go by, now that's your new baseline standard. And it would, if you're lucky, it would then take an effort of thought and action to go back to the old routine. And for me, it's been over a slightly longer period of time, but like with the rock climbing, it was the exact same thing of the reason I never went rock climbing before. I had a really good idea that I would enjoy it. But it just, I never got around to it. It wasn't interesting enough to me for me to force myself to go either to a gym or out to a crag or something. Right. And so I finally went and it really was, I just had to like quit in the middle of the sentence of the book I was reading because I'm like, okay, I don't want to be making an excuse for why I'm not doing this anymore. Set it down, like walk over to my car and go to the gym. And it took me probably a couple weeks of just doing that every single day that I had available before all of a sudden I noticed I wasn't forcing myself anymore. Mm. And it was like now that I had gotten that little bit of pattern, I think, imprinted in my mind, after I left work, I would be like getting in my car to leave work and it would be coming up with a reason not to go to the gym mm-hmm. rather than convincing myself to. Right. And so the passion there is a huge advantage. There you go. That's key too. Key. Yeah. What? So talking on that, what advice can you offer up for somebody who's struggling with that initial brute force, right? That convincing of, you know, hey, I'm going to doom scroll or hey, I'm going to do whatever. Hey, I'm going to watch Netflix. Hey, I'm going to, I'm more comfortable doing this. Like what advice um, from a thought perspective can you offer up for somebody who might be struggling, who's tried multiple times with whatever it is, whether it's nicotine, whether it's you know, alcohol or drugs, whether it's with exercise, is there any pointers or, or practical tips to help get somebody over that hump when they're struggling with that brute force? So 
Possibly. I think I don't have any like silver bullet when it comes to that. And how did you do it for you? Well, that's the thing is I wouldn't really recommend my method. Cool, but that's so, I mean it might resonate with somebody. That's what we yeah. want to hear. Sure. So it was for me a real negativity spiral type uh -huh. thing where I mean the reason I graduated high school is because I had not quite a full-on psychotic break, but I freaked out and like was manic for a good 72 hours like not sleeping trying to figure out what to do before I finally asked for help with uh, like I was behind a bunch of credits and none of it actually matters and it turns out it wasn't a problem but the reason that I managed to take some sort of action to fix that situation is because I was just focusing on like I I think this is really bad and I'm upset with where I'm at and not doing things and just not allowing myself to tuck it away in the back of my mind and just think about how I was dissatisfied with what I was doing. And you don't have to take it super far, but as long as you can just remember that you want to be making a change. And for me, it was noticing, like I said, I was reading books, I was watching videos about like biology, I don't know, stuff that doesn't even matter. And it just kept occurring to me, like I thought I was going to be making a change here. I wanted to be taking some sort of action. And after a while of that, it got to the point where I was able to just make that step of, okay, I'm not doing anything for the next two hours. So I'm gonna go get in the car and drive over to the gym. And that first time is by far the hardest, mm -hmm. especially when it's an environment that you're not familiar with. That was the first time I'd ever been in a climbing gym. I didn't know anybody there. I had to like sign waivers and stuff. I had no clue what I was doing. And then the next time I went, it didn't require as much of a buildup because, okay, now I understand a little bit of like what the situation is going to be that I'm getting into, getting into. And so a little bit of that barrier was reduced and a little bit more motivation was there because, okay, I understand what is going to happen here. So it's no longer a mystery that fear of the unknown didn't apply as strongly. And then just over time, you can wear down that barrier of it gets easier and easier to make the passive decision to go do the thing. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the focus on negativity is not a strategy that I'd recommend for everybody, but it is what works for me is just don't let yourself be complacent and be so passive. Yeah, I think part of that too is like, it doesn't have to be positive or negative. It's just the awareness. Yes. The awareness of this is how I feel. This is what's going on. Like I'm actually going to take a look at this and then, then I'll make a decision if I want to change it or not. Yeah, that's a much better way to frame it, I think. For me, I, I tend to be of a quite negative outlook. Um, less so now. Again, a lot of these character traits that I talk about are things that I've been working for a while to modify. But when it comes to like the decision to go climbing or go work out, I don't have the real optimism to convince myself that, oh, this is going to be great. For me, I had to come up with some way where the optimism wasn't necessary so that I could still take the action. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, use that negativity yeah. as fuel. Yeah, so right. I think the neutrality idea yeah. there is worth a lot. Totally, and I mean, we practice that all the time with, you know, C that's the main thing about CBT, right, is like reframing. 
Um, so having that neutral standpoint and being able to reframe it in a way that is serving uh, the beneficial aspects of whatever decision you're trying to make or whatever process you're trying to think through or whatever action you're trying to take. Of course. Um, but it's not for everybody, right? Like negativity mm -hmm. is, a, is a really strong fuel. So if that's what works for somebody, if anybody's listening to this and like, you know, if the negativity is going to actually get you to move your ass, move your feet, get in the car, start the car and drive to the gym, then use that. And if it is reframing it in a way that is, you know, more neutral or more positive focused, like things ebb and flow. And so that's why I wanted to hear specifically, you know, what it was for you and like negativity is a great fuel. So the important aspect though, that I think and exactly what you're saying is that you did it right. You went and you did it. You did it once and it was hard. Then you did it the next day and it was a little less hard. And you've been doing it for months on end. And now it's not only something positive, but it's helping reframe maybe some um, subservient character traits that you've had in your past that didn't serve you in a beneficial way. Yeah. Yeah. I would just want to say on that last note, the the negativity is fuel thing, Yeah, I think is a huge factor. And if for me, at least being able to leverage that negativity is an incredible fuel for action for me. Totally. I would not want to rely on it for longer than necessary, though. Yep. Uh, and as you were just saying that, eventually becoming a positive thing and being motivated rather than, like, I think of it as anti-motivation. Mm. So as I referenced earlier with the the first time I, well, first time I tried getting sober, the, the levels of seriousness are kind of difficult to judge. But first time I went to IOP and I scraped together 10 weeks of sobriety, that was full on negativity, like white hot, uh, white knuckling experience right there. And I was very strong out of the gates on that. And I was like doing all my work. I was okay. I'm, this is what I'm doing. And it worked amazingly well at the start. And then as soon as I had the space there to lose a little bit of momentum, I started like drowning under the pressure of it. So I think that negativity as an impetus to get started works amazingly well, but you don't want to have only that and no like nothing else. Right. It's not sustainable. Yeah. It's it's rocket fuel to launch you off. And then, you know, you're obviously going to have to switch fuel sources. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm fairly certain that some people are completely propelled by hatred, but. Oh, that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> for sure. Did you drive here? Yeah. <laughs> so. No, man, that's awesome. Well, I definitely. Um, just want to say like I appreciate you and the man that you're becoming and the uh, getting to know you over these last you know this last three quarters of a year and the amount of participation that uh, you've employed within our program but also just like your ability to help build this community because it's you know we can kind of lay a foundation but without people like you we don't have a community right and so thank you for just being you, man, and just working hard and taking one foot and putting it in front of the other and or one hand in front of the other, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Um, but no, I just want to uh, let you know how much I appreciate you and, and how good of a job you're doing. And um, yeah, man, I'm just really, really excited for what the future holds for you. Um, I want to switch gears just a little bit and 
ask you some specific questions about Elevate. Um, for the listeners who don't know or aren't aware, uh, Robbie and I own Elevate Recovery Homes, and we are a you know a sober living community here in Denver. Um, and I want to get your feedback on what Elevate has done for you and the and, and the aspects of being in a sober living community that you like and or dislike. Um, just so if anybody's considering, you know, maybe getting into a sober living community or uh, getting into any other kind of sober community, uh, if you can offer up any feedback or advice for, for those listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I have fairly limited experience with sober living. Uh, I've been... I had a very brief stint at an Oxford house, which wasn't really a good situation for anybody. And then uh, I was with sort of Sofferson. It's not a sister program. It's No, they're good friends of ours. Kyle's been on the yeah. program before. If you haven't listened, go check out his story. It's a fucking awesome story. But yeah, they, uh, yeah they're not sister program, but they're very uh, characteristically uh, value aligned with what we try to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. And so I think there are a couple of huge aspects of why Elevate has been so important for me and so helpful. The largest one by far, as we touched on, was the like, I mean, just community aspect. And that's the idea of community is not unique to this program, but this community in particular is engaging in a way that I haven't found elsewhere, I think, ever. Um, with so the whole multi-pathway recovery is a huge enticement to me because I am a giant contrarian and I hate following specific programs. Mm. And so the fact that it is open-ended and the whole idea, like I've had this experience before at treatment in various programs where somebody says, okay, this is the program, like here's how you do it. My immediate response is like, I, I don't want to. I, I'd rather do something on my own. <laughs> and I came here and it's like, we don't have anything specific. Like we're not going to prescribe something. Figure it out and like make it work. And if you need support, we're here for that. If you need resources, things like that. But figure out something. So it didn't give me something to be frustrated with. Like, oh my God, there's no structure here for me to buck. And it was really interesting to feel my response to that. I was like, wait a second, I can actually just be here and participate and it's not rubbing me the wrong way. So I and think- it's funny because it's like that open-ended lack of quote unquote structure, so to speak, on like running a program has actually helped you develop a very structured and scheduled, you know, program. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the funny thing about it to me, because I know if we had like meetings and book studies all the time that were like, okay, this is what you have to participate in, Mm -hmm. I would have put way less effort into trying to figure it out myself. Mm. And I would have been more frustrated with it. That open-endedness has been a huge asset to me. And like you said, it allowed me to make a much more regimented structure than I ever would have been comfortable with before. So that's been really funny. And then, I mean, the physical fitness part of it, I I think is a huge deal, for me at least. It's mm-hmm. not for everybody, but I think it applies to more people than many would suspect that, because I met you guys on your, uh, on your CrossFit group yeah. when I was living with Louie. Yeah. And like, 
it seems so shallow that just to say out loud, like, oh, I pushed iron and then I felt better. Right. But I think that there are deeper connections physiologically between mental and physical well-being. Totally. Totally. And being structured and having goals and feeling achievement with the things that I'm doing physically correlate very strongly to my emotional state mentally. Mm. And like that there's another huge one like i started participating more at work i'm not drunk all the time so i can actually be doing things like wait a second like achieving things and feeling accomplishment seems like it has some sort of value to it which i just wasn't experiencing for the longest time that's awesome man um i i appreciate i appreciate that feedback um and i appreciate the review just like the overall review of the program and why we why we set it up that way, um, because both Robbie and I kind of came from that same path about like, hey, we're very contrarian and, you know, we push back to structure and rigidity and like black and white. This is the way things need to be done. So it's really cool to see, um, you know, us create this thing that can ultimately help benefit people who are of the same ilk. Right. And of the same belief about like, hey, I'm going to figure this out. There's going to be some, you know, rules and, and regulations, so to speak, within the, the internal community. Yeah. But overall, it's like we want to give you the space to to be able to work whatever recovery looks like for you. And you've definitely taken the bull by the horns and, and have been fucking crushing it, man. Thank you, man. Yeah. I think the big difference there, just real quick on what the difference between those, like you said, there is structure, but... What always rubbed me the wrong way was structure that seemed arbitrary. Mm. It was the reason I didn't do math homework when I was in like elementary school. It was like, wait, I don't, why do I need to long divide 25 times just to prove that I can do it if I can pass the test? Right. Well, so with Elevate, there are rules and those rules make sense. Like don't drink. That makes perfect sense. It's not arbitrary. And like do something is one of the rules. I'm pretty sure that's actually how it's phrased in the book, right? It might be. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like you do something. something. Yeah. And so you've stripped out all of the fat and just left the valuable part of these are the things you need to do for things to work correctly. And then after that, you have to come up with your own like frivolity to pad out the rest of it. And so it like there's nothing that feels stupid or arbitrary. And that's the huge one for me. That's the reason why I buck so hard against other programs is because it feels like there's stuff there that isn't necessary, that doesn't apply perfectly to everybody. And that's not the case with this because it's so open-ended that it does. It's awesome. It's good that. feedback. Do you have any questions, Robbie? Yeah, I think that um, just how has the community and the support, right? Because there is that open-endedness in the program. Mm -hmm. But the availability of support and those resources and being able to get those things when you need them, how has that happened for in your experience? Well, that's happened very well in my experience here. So I've always had trouble reaching out. I don't like asking for help. And the engagement on a personal level that I've experienced with everyone involved in this program has been unreal. Like... Brandon, my house manager, wish he could have been here. <laughs> uh, he's amazing and has made it clear so many times, both through words and through actions, that he's willing to just be there, whether it's for 
like enjoying some moment or whether it's for providing support or advice or anything. And for me, it's very difficult to take that to heart when I know that somebody is available and they'd like to help. I still don't want to reach out. Mm. But having it so consistent and so constant that I can't delude myself into feeling like it's not reasonable to rely on and feel supported by these people anymore. And then a huge part of it is the personal engagement with just our activities. Like every single weekend, I see you guys going. We did that race that was amazing. We've gone climbing. We need to get you on a bike and yeah. also climbing. Dude, I'll, I'll, I don't know about the climbing yet, yeah. but the bike for sure. Oh, you'd be great I'm, at it. I'm mad at myself. For, I mean, it's been a crazy, crazy summer, as you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm definitely, definitely just waiting to get out on this mountain bike we're getting we're in mid-august or no the beginning of august right now and i haven't been on my mountain bike this year like what the hell is going on yeah i know you're absolutely right man Uh, yeah but the whole point being like you guys aren't pencil pushers who are like just in administrative roles and not mm -hmm. engaging at all and i'm not trying to accuse anybody of being that way but you're approachable in a way that is uncommon when it comes to mental health stuff I wouldn't, I I would go to you guys about stuff before I went to my therapist and I've been working with her for like five years, but the like clear understanding of where you guys are and where you sit on everything is just really helpful in a way that's hard to, I think, totally understand, at least for me intellectually. Like I said, I can understand that somebody's available, but knowing that critically is different from feeling okay with it and i don't like i don't like to say that and i don't like to hear emotional stuff just in general but it really is the case that the very close contact that you guys have with everybody and the clear engagement and enjoyment that you have dealing with people and helping with this program and doing things like it makes this huge difference. And I think that's the most valuable part of the community. That's awesome, man. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. And I know we value specifically that. I mean, we want to, we're part of this, right? Like, oh. it's not like we sit on some fucking high chair over every, like, and tell people what to do. Like, so that really hits home and really resonates with me because that's literally our entire intention is to like be a part of this community and get to share this journey with people like you. So thank you. Thank you guys. Thank yeah, you, man. Man. Thanks for coming on. This will be the first of many. We're going to have to get you back in the studio. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're, I mean, a super intellectual dude. You're super smart, man. And you have so much to offer this world and this community and, and whatever you do, you're going to be successful. And I'm super pumped to get a, get a front seat to, to see that. So thanks for coming on, man. And we'll, we'll, talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Thank you guys. Love you, buddy. Love you guys.